Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Wow. Give Jesus a big clap offering right now, wherever you're at. Thank you, Lord. Come on. You, you can still be standing. I just want to, as you're standing, just close your eyes. I know we've been worshiping. We've been in prayer. But just join me with this one. Holy Spirit, we give you complete freedom this morning. We recognize your presence in this house. We recognize what you're doing in our generation, in the nations. And we ask, Holy Spirit, you who are our helper, our paracletos, would you help us this morning? Would you guide us in all truth? Would you reveal to us your secrets? Will you confront us, convict us, comfort us? Would you embrace us like only you can? And we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give Jesus a big clap. Come on. Oh, sorry, it's the living water. Come on. Guys, I am so excited to be back here. It's been a couple years since I've been back. Uh, I just want to introduce you real quick. My wife, I know uh, Lyle introduced her, but I need to do that as a good husband. So, Junior, could you stand up, please? This is my wife, Junior. And um, the reason why uh, she's a new face is because the last maybe five years that I've been coming to Legacy, she's, uh, I told her, the reason why you've never came is because you've been bearing children and taking care of them. And so we have... Uh, two boys, uh, they're with us uh, in Hawaii. Now, we live in Hawaii now, so we live, we're suffering for Jesus in Kona, Hawaii. And uh, we're there for the full year. And so our boys are there, five-year-old Zach, and three years old Koa. And we have Beni, who's in her body right now and soon to come out to change the world. So, it'll be three boys. And, and uh, so I, I'm just happy that she gets to come out because we're all friends with Allison and, and, and Lyle, but she had never gotten a chance to come out here. But this is, this is crazy for me. Uh, you got, I understand you guys are excited for Sunday, but for me, I'm super excited. Because the last time I came into this building, we were praying for this property. And uh, when we came to this building, yeah. Like I walked down there and I'm like, Lyle, I remember this place. I mean, with puddles, broken windows, tore out, and we prayed together, and we believed it in faith, and we saw it in the Spirit, and we pulled it from the Spirit. And to see this is a testimony of God's grace and God's faithfulness. Can I get an amen? So God is good. Amen? Awesome. Well, just a little bit about what we're, we've been doing. You know, uh, last time we were here, or I was here, was pre-COVID. And uh, I, still, I know we're still coming out, uh, but we, we were, you know, in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, we're still leading the ministry, but we are in, on a sabbatical, and I'm working with, uh, June and I were in relationship with the University of the Nations in Hawaii, 
And so that's what we're doing. So it's, a, it's not like we get to sit out at the beach. I mean, I, I tell people, you know, that'd be awesome for like two days for me. I'm like a little bit hyperactive. And so I, I wouldn't, it would not do well. So uh, we're, we're inside different conversations. Strategic leaders come through that place. Uh, I get the best job in the world because I get to be pulled in to conversations and I don't have much of responsibility. I mean, you know, I get the good part, right? They're like, hey, we need you to do counseling. I'm like, not me, that guy right there. Uh, so I love people, but I said, I need a break. And, uh, but what I love is to hear what God is doing in the nations. And uh, one of the, the craziest conversations I've been having, uh, I'll tell you this, I was at the beach and uh, we had our beach chairs out and our kids were playing and we are good friends uh, uh, that are the leaders there at that place. He's telling me about what God is doing in Myanmar. And, uh, and I'm like, bro, I've never been to Myanmar. I've been close. I've been out to India, to Nepal. But you got to tell me what's happening. And he's telling me of how God is moving. And, and people are, you know, getting saved. And, and churches are being planted. And there's persecution. But the church is thriving. And I'm listening to this thing, right? And suddenly, he's like, yo, 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 I got to take this. He takes it. I'm, literally, we're on the, on the beach. He takes a phone call. He walks out. And then he comes. He's like, there, a coup just happened in Myanmar. And I have people in the government calling me here. And so immediately, you know, they're calling for prayer. And uh, this is probably, you know, three months ago. And uh, probably you saw that in the news. Anybody remember seeing that in the news? Okay. And so in the middle of that, you know, I've been, I've been asking. His name is Sono. I'm like, Sono, how's Myanmar? It's like, bro, the church is thriving. I mean, people are still, you know, we're still believing for breakthrough. We're still seeing God move. And so anyways, just to be in a place where I can get, you know, feedback of what God is doing in the nations, things that don't make it to the news, things that maybe if you only hear it from the news, you'll be kind of like with no faith, but you see that nothing can stop the church. Do you know that? Tell somebody next to you, you're unstoppable. You know, that's what Matthew 16 says about us. We're the church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Not because we're special, but because we're on God's side, right? And so Jesus says, you know, this is my church. I will build it. I give you the kingdom or the keys of the kingdom. Now, check this out. This is not even my message. This is the intro, right? But you can take notes. This is the thing. We are so concerned about the church when Jesus says, it's my church. I'm talking Matthew 16, 18. You go check it later when you get home. He says, it's my church and I will build it. But I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Amen. See, this is the thing. He's not giving you the keys to the kingdom. Right? You don't need keys to get into the kingdom. To get into the kingdom, there is a door, and the door, his name is Jesus. There's only way that you get into the kingdom. You go through that door. But now, once you're in the kingdom, he says, I'll give you keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are in your hands. Now, what do keys mean? Access? influence keys mean revelation right so you have kingdom access as a member of christ's body you have kingdom revelation you have kingdom authority now what what do you do with kingdom authority you expand kingdom so let me just suggest this to you legacy nashville that the lord is giving you kingdom influence Kingdom authority, kingdom revelation, so that you would expand kingdom in Nashville. He says, I'll take care of legacy. 
because the church is mine. I will build it. You worry about expanding the kingdom. What, what is this that we're doing here right now? This is how I see what we're doing right now, Sunday morning, 9.45 a.m. What we're doing right now is a pep talk in the locker room before the game. I just happened, I just happened to be the coach on, the, on, on schedule today, right? The, the owner of the team scheduled me to be here today to talk to you about our constitution, our game plan. Does that make sense? So tomorrow, games, game time starts. It's not about Sunday morning. See, this is the problem with Western church. We think it's about Sunday morning. It's not about Sunday morning, right? People in Myanmar are gathering not because of a Sunday morning, because they don't gather Sunday morning. They gather when they can. But when they gather, they're asking, what's the game plan? And the Lord raises up apostles. The Lord raises up prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It, we don't, we're not raised up so that we could have a good program here. Does that make sense? And that's why I'm so grateful for Lau and, and, and Ali because they've done such an amazing job equipping the saints for the ministry. And, and, and let me just say that because you've been faithful in equipping the saints, the Lord is going to build his kingdom or, or build his church through you. So don't worry about legacy, Nashville. Obviously, you guys are doing amazing. Right? Just, and I'm like, why are they doing amazing? I know Lyle's an amazing leader. Allie's an amazing leader. The Lord's like, they're, they're equipping the saints. They're, they're equipping people for the Monday through Friday church. Why not Monday through Saturday? <laughs> and so we gather here Sunday. It's not about, hey, we want to build our own empire. No, it's we want to build the kingdom in the city. And God says, if you take care of the city, what is the end goal? Say with me, nations. nations. Matthew 28, 19. Go make disciples of nations. Listen, I mean, I don't know if you read this book, but uh, the seven successful habits of, of, of leadership or something like that. You know, it's a classic. One, one of these habits is you always begin something with the end in mind. You don't begin your walk with Christ with no end in mind. To have an end in mind of, I just don't want to burn hell, that's a bad vision. <laughs> what should be your end in mind? My end in mind is to see nations disciple. Right? So if we have the, the goal of seeing nations disciple, I'll tell you what, for sure cities will be discipled. And when we think about cities being discipled, God says, you know what? I got the church. The church is my, is, is my, is my problem. You deal with expanding with the keys that I gave you, the kingdom, kingdom influence, kingdom impact in the cities and in the nations. So, so today I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, the concepts of kingdom transformation. And, and this is a little bit of a, you got to bear with me here. I haven't preached in a church setting in four months. And I'm used to preaching five services every Sunday. So, you know, it might be like a, you know, a, I don't know, a vomit, a spiritual vomit. But you'll organize it, right, in your mind because you guys are mature. So, so anyways, and I've been talking to these world changers coming in and through, right? All right, so let me tell you, uh, it's a little bit of me processing what I see God doing in the nations. Is that okay? Okay, cool. So this is what I see God doing in the nations. I think COVID just accelerated a bunch of stuff. Bad stuff, but good stuff, right? And, and, and see, it took us a little bit of a shaking for us to understand that church is not a building. 
And it took us a little bit of a shaking to understand that, you know, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he would be. And we have kingdom authority to cause transformation there, right? And people are getting that. So I'm super happy about that. But see, this is the thing about it. As we look at the world today, and, you know, I, I love the nations. I, I, the, this is why I connected with Lyle. If you don't know our story, our background, maybe a decade ago, we, we were in the same room. And he's like, the Lord put nations in my heart. I'm like, bro, the Lord put nations in my heart. And he says, and one of the nations is Brazil, and the other one is Japan. I'm like, bro, yeah. me. Because, you know, this, this is the thing. I'm half Japanese, half Italian, born and raised in Brazil, educated in America, got a Greek name and a Hawaiian soul. So I'm like, you, you got it, bro. Right? So that was the connection right there. And, and see, this is the thing about nations. Nations. The Lord is moving across the nations in a powerful way. But this is what I see. He will always respect hunger. Yeah, where there's hunger, there's a move of God. My mom always used to tell me, Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never barge into your door. He'll knock. And if you don't open the door, he'll go to the next one. And I just feel sometimes we need to shake in so that we realize there's Holy Spirit at our door and we need to open for him to come in. And what's happened is, and I want to encourage you coming from a global perspective, because maybe you're reading the news and you're thinking, man, America is not what it used to be. And I know. I've been coming to this, I, I spent a good time of my life in this nation. I lived in five different states of this nation. And uh, part of me, I still consider myself American. But the thing is, I understand it's a post-Christian America. I understand everything that you see around you. But let me tell you this. When I look at Christianity around the world, I see the global south. And what do I mean by the global south? South Asia, Africa, and South America as the muscle of the church. Right? They have quantity. They got strength. They have power. So I don't know if, if, if Lyle mentioned this to you, but I mean, he's been also part in birthing this with us as the send, even though uh, uh, behind the scenes, but he's, he's been with us, you know, and we just saw, you know, a year ago, exactly a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, 13, 14 months ago, we saw three packed out stadiums in Brazil with 150,000 young people. Just going for the Great Commission. Average age, 24 years old. Right? And so you would see that. You'll be excited. I, I'm excited. But, but I remember walking out of that stage. Now, now, I try to tell my American friends what this is. And I'm like, the best way that I could describe it is, imagine you, a kid that grew up in New York, New York City, baseball fan, Yankees diehard fan, and one day you preach at the Yankee stadiums packed out with a bunch of high school friends and, and, and just young people going for Jesus. Wow. That was me, yeah. right? I preached at Modem B Stadium, Sao Paulo Football Club Stadium, packed out 70, 75,000 people. I walked out and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. All right, you got it out of your system now. How did that feel? Like, oh, that was amazing, yeah. All right, now, are you ready to do the real thing? <laughs> right? Now, does that mean that that wasn't real? No, it doesn't mean that. But see, events can't be the end. Yeah. Events have to be the means to an end. Yeah. Right? And so many people are gathering around an event. They really don't know why they're gathering. It becomes an end in itself. Yeah. And so when we talk about transformation, 
and seeing nations being discipled. I'm saying, Lord, we're grateful for all the 150,000 young people across these three stadiums simultaneous one day, 12 hours under the sun, praying and fasting. Amazing. But God, if we don't point them to a direction, this is useless. And what the Lord was trying to tell me is like, don't get caught up in the whole, you know, you got to realize this is a, needs to be a means to an end. Did you get it out? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it out. Because he knows I'm immature. I'm still growing. Right? And so I'm like, I got it out. Okay. Now you're excited. You're going you know, to simmer down and you're going to calm down. You're going to have to think, how do we do? What do we do with this means? Right? So I want to share with you three concepts of transformation today. And um, I'm going to have to go a little bit quick on this. But I think you'll get it enough for you to really process this and just pray into this. Because I believe God is calling you to really bring kingdom transformation, not only in Nashville, but in your nation, in your generations. And this is the thing about this house. If you haven't noticed, this is weird because, I mean, you, you guys come here every Sunday. But I, I kind of feel like I'm in a position, uh, by God's grace, to tell you about what the legacy of this house is. The legacy of this house is nations. I don't understand. I don't know if you know what your what your senior leaders carry. It's for the nations, and for so long I've had this these conversations with Lyle because he says, "Tail, I'm a missionary. I want the nations, but I want my city, and I love the church." And I'm like, "This is beautiful, bro. This crisis is beautiful. May you die with that crisis in your heart, Lyle." of the nations, of the Great Commission, of going after the poor and the marginalized, and going after you know, the unchurched, but at the same time, I wanna impact the city. I wanna, I wanna have a love for the bride of Christ, the local body. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be either or. We're coming into a generation that can embrace both and. Does that make sense? So as we look at this, you may think, well, God is moving in the global south. It's in South America, it's in Africa, it's in, in, in Asia. But let me say this. What God has deposited in this nation of the USA for so long, you may not see this as a church that has muscle, but let me tell you this. We are looking to you as still being the brain. Does that make sense? And why do I share this to you? Because there's urgency for you to get what God is doing across the nation. You're not out of the picture, you're in the picture. For so long, I've been traveling America, going to different churches, and they're saying, God is doing something in Brazil. God has something to do. I'm like, what God is doing in Brazil is muscle, but what God has done over the last two centuries in America has been the brain, and you've been leading Christendom. I need to honor what you're carrying, and we will not be able to maximize our power without a spiritual direction coming from you. I don't care if you say, oh, the church is diminishing. It's, it's decreasing. Let me tell you this. You cannot, you cannot deny your history. You cannot deny George Whitfield. You cannot deny Jonathan Edwards. You cannot de deny Finney. You cannot deny uh, the, the revivalists that made American church what is the American bride of Christ. Does that make sense? So even though the global south may have the muscle, you have the brain. Therefore, there is urgency for you to get this. As the new generation, you need to get this. The first concept of kingdom transformation I want to share with you today is that kingdom vision needs to match your influence. You as the American church, you as Legacy Nashville, you are very influential. 
Whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you, you are very influential. And when we look at the book of Esther, especially chapter 4, I see a depiction of this concept that your kingdom vision needs to match your kingdom influence. You know, you know the story of Esther. We don't have time to get really into the story of Esther, but I want to read here out of chapter 4. If you can, open with me, Esther 4, verse 13. And as you're opening to verse 14, just to give you a background, Esther is in the king's palace. You know the story, right? She's in the king's palace. She's the most beautiful woman on earth. King, she wins a beauty pageant. The king marries her. She's in the palace. No, no, no. The king doesn't know that she is a Jew. They, she they, the king doesn't know she's a Hebrew girl. And, and, and that there's a scheme to kill the Hebrews. Her uncle or her cousin, depending on your translation. He says, hey, hey Esther, you need to do something about it. And she's like, hey, I, I, I know I need to do something about it, but I'm, I'm here in the palace. I don't know what, what I can do. And, and let me just say this. You will be, listen, your influence is temporary. The kingdom influence that you have, you use it here on earth, right? But the accountability is eternal. Once you get to heaven, he's going to say, what did you do with the talent I gave you? What did you do with the gift that I gave you? Right? The gift for healing that you carry is for here. You will not pray for the sick in heaven. You can't do deliverance in heaven. You can't prophesy in heaven. You won't be able to discipleship, pastor anybody in heaven. You will not be able to pioneer church plant in heaven. You won't be able to go to the nations in heaven. The nations will be there already. Does that make sense? So your, what you carry, your giftings, your talents, your influence, your revelation... It's for now. It's temporary, but it's for now. But the accountability on that is eternal. You will come before the throne, and you will have to be accountable for what you did with what he gave you. Does that make sense? So when I talk about, hey, guys, this is urgent. I am not just somebody super excited about it. I, I feel it. This is urgent. And this morning, I'm praying that Holy Spirit will put urgency in your heart. Right? Because... Esther did not have the urgency that Mordecai had. Mordecai carried urgency. She didn't because she was comfortable in the palace. Why, why, is, she, why is she in the palace? Well, in the first place, because she's gorgeous. Right? She was given a God-given gift of beauty. That was Esther. And I look around, and I'm thinking, man, this generation is talented, is gifted. This, this generation is influential. And, and what I'm saying is the Lord is raising up Mordecai's. And this is what I've, I've prayed for the Lord for, for years now. Lord, bring me the Mordecai's that will shake me, that will awake me, that will say, Hey, Teo, why do you think you had this upbringing? Why do you think you had these doors open to you? Why do you think you had those scholarships? Why do you think you had that favor? Why, Teo, why? I remember the first time I, I heard a Mordecai confrontation in my spirit it was 2008 I was living in North Carolina I was going to school seminary I was about to take over a, a, a well-established church in the Raleigh Durham area and the Holy Spirit asked me are you going for the kingdom dream or the American dream 
said, Lord, I want to go after the kingdom dream. But if I'm going after the American dream and I gave up the kingdom dream for that dream, what do I do? And the Lord confirmed me and says, why do you think I blessed you with this, with that, with this access, with this favor? He says, you know what? In my situation, it may not be for you, but in my situation, he said, give up the citizenship, give up the offer to take over this church, pack your stuff, and move back to Brazil and raise up the future leaders of the world from there. That's what he told me. It didn't make sense. I was well established. I was, I was about to go on with my seminary degree. I was going to take over a church. And suddenly, in a matter of two, three months, I'm living in my mom's house as a 27-year-old. And my mom was like, you're going to pay rent? You're going to buy a place? I mean, well, what are you doing here? You're a grown man. And I said, well, you know, I don't have a ministry. It's not like I, I was leading a church. I didn't have, dunamis was non-existent. But the Lord said, hey, this is a shaking. I need you to wake up, right? So it took a little bit of the Lord humiliating me or, or humbling me, I would say, better word, to, to get, get me to be sober about the call and the accountability, right? And Esther needed that with Mordecai. And Mordecai brings this to her in verse 13. He tells her, do not think in your heart that you will, you will escape in the king's palace. Say with me, king's palace. What is the king's palace? It could be your gifts. It could be your talent. It's your comfort zone. It could be your influence. Does that make sense? Verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, check this out. One of the prayers that I've always prayed, or I mean, last two decades I prayed, especially when I used to be a youth pastor out in Raleigh-Durham of an African-American church. We used to sing this, this song, Lord, whatever you're doing, don't leave me out of it. Don't do it without me. Any of you heard that song before? That became my cry. And the Lord says, didn't you cry out that you didn't want to be left out of what I was doing in the nations? I got something for you that's outside the palace. Are you willing to give up your palace? Or are you willing to understand why I put you in the palace? So I don't, I don't want to be left out of, of what God is actually doing in the nations. He says, yet, verse 14, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. You know, many people, they will get lost with the blessing and lose sight of the blesser because they get inebriated with favor. They start off good, but then favor will inebriate you. And you're asking, oh, Taylor, this is not a very popular message. That's, that, you're so blessed, I need to preach this to you. I walk in this place and I see so much blessing, so much favor. I'm like, you, you better know this. Because when I see your influence circle here, there's an influence circle. And see, this is the thing. The danger is, if we could have the next slide over, please. When your vision circle is smaller than your influence circle. Because when your vision circle is smaller than the influence circle, this is what you have. You have a discrepancy. See, this part right here is where the danger is at. Not here, because this is inside the vision. 
The discrepancy is where the danger is at. The discrepancy is you with too much money in your bank account with not enough of a big vision for that amount that's in your bank account. That's a discrepancy. What is a discrepancy? You're in a party with a bunch of celebrities and you don't know why you're there. And you get inebriated with the environment. What is the discrepancy? You're in office. You got power. You got authority over a city, over a state, over a nation, but you don't know why you're there. So if we thought, oh, Lord, I don't want to be in the party, that's the wrong thing to say. Lord, I don't want that much money. That's the wrong thing to pray. What should you pray? Lord, enlarge my vision circle. Right? So let me say, for where the Lord wants to take you, Legacy Nashville, enlarge the vision circle. Think city transformation. It's beyond just building a church. It's a, let me tell you, the church, he's got it. He wants you to dream about the city. He wants you to dream about the state. He wants you to dream about a generation, about the nations. So I don't want to be caught up in a place where I have more influence than vision because I have a discrepancy. And what happens in the discrepancy circle? People sell out their values. People will preach something here and live something different out there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we see, unfortunately, the incidents of people falling in, in sin and in ministry. And I'm like, wow. And I see a pattern. They have such influence. But the vision wasn't there. Right? I, I tell my people. I said, and my wife is like, she tells me, remember what you say. I say, the best version of Teo Hayashi is the Teo Hayashi desperate for a miracle. That's the best version of me. You know what's the worst version of me? Is me in the palace, comfortable. My people may be dying, but I'm like, hey, 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 hey. You, you, you know what it is, man. If I, if I go up to his chamber and I'm not invited, I could die. You're thinking about your comfort. You lost, you lost sight of why you, why you were in the palace in the first place. Does that make sense? So, so this is the first kingdom concept. Second kingdom concept is sustainable transformation is inside out. Sustainable transformation is inside out. You know, we have a generation today, and I'm talking about Gen Z, and I know, I mean, the average age here is, is low, and, uh, and, and we're grateful for the wisdom of the ones that have more age. And, and, and the beauty is a multi-generational church. But let me say this. This is actually a miracle to see so many young people in a church. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a miracle. Because I, what I see is a lot of kids that, that talk to me, and uh, they'll be like, I love Jesus. I love the kingdom. I just don't believe in church. And some of them are actually the smarter ones. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be little shysty, and they'll say, you know what? I am the church. Why do I need to go to a church? Like, bro, bro, sit down here and let me talk to you. I was going to say something else. Uh, something else. But what, I'll, what I want to tell you is we have a skeptical generation. And yes, there is rebellion. And yes, there is deceit. But let me tell you this. There's a skeptical generation because of the way that we preach transformation was from the outside in instead of the inside out. Right? So when you look at Daniel, open with me real quick. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel, young man, 
in Babylon. You know the story. It says, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. Are you with me? He says, it begins here. It doesn't begin out there. It begins in my heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It's self-accountability. It's like, yo, I don't, I don't know what you guys believe on uh, this issue, on that issue. I, I got to know if I believe in my heart what the Bible tells me is the truth. Do, do I, have I done my homework of inside me first? Does that make sense? I'll explain this, but keep, keep, keep with me here. It says he, he, he decided not to defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. Now, you may think, oh, what's, what's wrong with that? I mean, that was meat that was used in idolatrous rituals. Right? They, they were offering meat in, through idolatry. He's like, I'm not going to take part of that. So there's, it'll make sense, but come with me here. Nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he re requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. you got to understand this. Can we have the next one, please? Okay. So what Daniel is, is, is really concerned is himself. See, people are too quick to talk about others. They haven't talked about themselves first. Daniel's like, yo, I'm not peeking to see if all my other Hebrew boys are, are eating the idolatrous meat or they're defiling themselves. I, I got to first worry about me. Do I live what I preach? Do I live what is a Christian way to live? Me. Forget, I mean, the church down the road. For, I, mean, I mean, my cousins, my auntie, uncles. Me. Me, right inside, and he goes, Jump with me, verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs has set over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. Now, see, it's changed, it was himself, wow. now it's our. Can I have the next one, please? And he goes, then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men. Plural. Does that make sense? I'm going to get somewhere here. Just keep with me here. Who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, you deal with your servants. What am I saying? True change does not happen from the outside in. It begins with a moral change within one's ethics. After you're convinced, this is what the Bible says about this issue. This is what the Bible teaches me about this situation. It's me. I'll go and say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I'm convicted. We shouldn't take part of this. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel, you've positioned yourself to not defile yourself. Therefore, we will take a stand with yourself so that we will not defile ourselves. Does that make sense? So it's moving from inside out. Does that make sense? All right. And then jump with me to Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. You know the story. So these guys have decided. I mean, these guys... Daniel led the way, but 
The other Hebrew boys, I mean, they were so inspired by his example, they're taking stands. They're like, we're not going to defile ourselves. So these stands, these positions that they're taking, took them to a place where they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Verse 28 of Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And you remember the story. And they have frustrated the king's word. They have frustrated the policy of the government. They have frustrated the president. The media. They, they have frustrated. Do you understand what I'm saying? And look what happens. And yielded to their, their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree. This is the last part. Can you, can you put the next one, please? See, this is a problem. When you go on Instagram, on your Twitter account, your Facebook, going for this. But you ain't even live this. You're talking about justice. You don't have a track record of fighting for justice. You're talking about the poor. Are you convinced deep inside I need to take care of the poor? Listen, change will not come to America on a policy level. That's why you got a young generation saying, yeah, bogus. Because they say, you preach on morality, but you're in adultery. You're preaching this and that and this and that, that this is the Bible says, but it's all jacked up inside your house. Does that make sense? So every time you see something from the outside in, it's not sustainable. It'll usually last only four years. Therefore, verse 29, Daniel 3, 29. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap. Check this out. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Now, am I saying you shouldn't stand up for what you feel is moral or ethical? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is do it the right way. What I'm saying is do it from inside out. What I'm saying is, look at William Wilberforce. And he, maybe you don't know William Wilberforce, but I'll tell you why there was the abolition of slavery. Because William Wilberforce, at age 19, became a member of the British Parliament. And he's looking and he says, man, I got influence. Now, William Wilberforce came from money. He had, he had money. His family was a traditional aristocrat uh, family in Britain. I mean, he was in the Parliament. He, he had influence. He went into a crisis. He says, why do I have so much influence? I need to find a purpose. And he finds Christ. After he finds Christ, influenced by his pastor called Newton and also John Wesley, he goes into this fight. I need, a, I need to find a plight of life. What is my fight? And the Lord pointed to the sin of slavery. And he says, that is your plight. This is sin. Now, it was sin for him. For him, it was so obvious because on a personal level, he was convicted of the sin. And he would talk to people, but people would say, no, that's not a sin. So he thought, maybe, you know what, I'm going to pass a bill on the parliament floor. 
He tried that for 40 years, but then this is what he understood. It will never pass on the parliament floor if I don't do the sustainable transformation route. And so he said, I will find from God what is the plight of my life. The Lord says, I want you to abolish slavery. That is your worship. So that, that became personal. And then what he did was he started going in um, through parishes after parishes in Britain talking to Anglican pastors and he would sit them down and he would open the word and be, I see you own a slave. Yeah, I do. Well, you know, that's a sin. I don't think it's a sin. Well, open the word. And he would convince them and preach at them and suddenly he would have a friend that would say, you know what, you're right. And he would release the slave. Then he would go to the next one. He did that for 40 years. By the time it came for a societal change, there was such a critical mass on the matter based on a ethics that came from inward to outward. They said, yeah, just pass the bill. Does that make sense? We can't be preaching kingdom agenda if we don't have the kingdom reality as our revelation. Tell, what are you about? I'm all about the Bible, says. I'm not about what, I'm not politically correct. I am biblically correct. And if we would only see, Lord, what does the word says about these issues? Does that make sense? And so when we look at, at, at this concept, and I, got, I don't have much time, but I'm going to jump into the third one. You understand what Jesus was trying to say in Luke 11. Right? In Luke 11, Jesus is talking about casting out demons. And the third concept I want to share with you is that biblical narrative, if you're taking notes, just write this down. Biblical narrative needs to fill in the vacuum. Biblical narrative needs to fill in the vacuum. Now, check this out. Luke 11, verse 24 through 26, Jesus is talking about what happens when a demon is cast out. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, let me rephrase the last phrase. And the last state of that city and the last state of that generation is worse than the first. See, this is about, you know, I grew up charismatic. My mom uh, is a pioneer in a lot of ways. My aunts uh, brought this concept of spiritual warfare and, and taking up territories and mapping and, and prophetic acts. I mean, I'm, I grew up around that kind of stuff. All, all the crazy stuff that you think, man, yeah, it was me growing up, right? This is what I saw. I was, going, I was going to different mobilizations of prayer and fasting, of, of spiritual mapping, of prophetic action, and that's awesome. But the thing is, I started asking, why, why is it that the more demons we cast out, the more strongholds we bind, the worse it gets? The church grows, but the, but, but the city gets worse. Right? And Jesus says, hey, listen, if you cast it out, you will, because you have the authority, it will go. In Jesus' name, it will go. But the thing is, what do you do to fill in the vacuum? Because you just can't leave it empty. You can't just cast out the spirit of, of greed and just leave it empty. 
You can't just cast out the spirit of, of lust and leave it empty. Right? So we're quick to denounce, but what do we fill that in in the narrative of injustice needs to be cast out? What are we saying? Wherever there is a vacuum, write this down, wherever there is a vacuum, it will be filled with toxicity. So as we're casting out, we take position. We occupy. We occupy. How do we occupy with a biblical narrative? So if we look at the spheres, can we have the next one over? Thank you. You look at seven areas where you see society, and you can block them in these seven areas. I mean, some people will interpret it in maybe eight areas or, or 12 areas, whatever it is, but I'll just call them seven areas. You have the church sphere, the religious sphere, which is what we're practicing today. You're going to go home to a family sphere, nuclear extended family sphere. You also have education. I don't know if the school's back or open, but maybe Monday your kids are going to school or, or you're going to college or whatever. Education. Communication. You're, you're reading the news. You're listening to, to the radio, uh, whatever. Uh, podcast. Communication. Business. Work. Economic sphere. The other sphere is government, politics. And finally, celebration, which, which involves the arts the entertainment, and it involves sports. Does that make sense? So, so this is the thing. When we say, hey, we are kicking out greed from the business sphere, are we raising up the kingdom marketplace apostles? Right? We just don't want to leave it empty. Because then this concept of Luke 11 happens, and it just gets worse. When we say, yeah, you know what? Oh, we're against the government. The government is doing this, and it's wrong, whether you're Republican or Democrat. This is wrong. Let me just ask you, are we talking about what the Bible talks about government? Or, or much of what we preach out of the pulpit is just what, in, what you need of an encouragement or a boost to get by to the next Sunday. No, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm looking at people here that I know God has called you to be apostles and prophets in the family arena, in educational arena. Does that make sense? For so long, especially in our charismatic Pentecostal uh, uh, spheres and, and mentality, we said, hey, Lord, you know what, Jesus, take it all, take it all, but just give me Jesus. Hey, the devil took everything else. I just don't want to get left behind. So you lock yourself up in a prayer room and you're waiting for Jesus to come back while kids are going to school, they're occupying the marketplace, and then you don't know where, you, where your kids can't go to the public school anymore. Does that make sense? So inside me, I say, Lord, I want to carry Maranatha. Come back, Jesus. But inside me, I want to carry a disciple nations. Right? We, we live in this tension of the kingdom now, but not yet. He's inaugurated the kingdom. It's here. But hey, in the fullness, not yet. But in the meantime, in this tension, I build kingdom here. Does that make sense? So the Lord is asking you, will you fill in the narrative? Because I'll tell you this, and I'll finish with this. When we look at the early church, we look at a church that had all colors, all races, all ethnicities. You look at Acts. If somebody has authority to talk about racial justice, it's the Church of Christ. Right? 
when we look at the early church in the epistles of Paul, he says a lot of things, and one of the things you'll see as a pattern, don't forget the widow, don't forget the orphan, don't, take, don't forget to take care of the poor. We have a track history of taking care of the marginalized. Most places, it's in America, but you'll see it very evident in the global south. Places where the state can't go, the church goes. In the war zones. In the slums. Places that the church, um, the state can't reach, the church is there. This is our narrative. You know what was our narrative? You look at the, the writings of Josephus, the, the Jewish historian of the first century church. He says, you know, the difference between the Christian faith or, or the people of the way was they, they were tolerant. They lived what Jesus said. If, you're, if your enemy strikes you in one side, you turn him the other. They knew that they're not going to, if you strike them, they're, they're not going to explode your, your church or bomb you. No, 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 no. These are tolerant people. They're Christians. They're people of the way. They respect differences. They're not going to force you, choke you, for you to make a confession of what they believe. They're dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. We don't bring the conviction. Does that make sense? See, this is the thing about the early church. The early church fought for the sanctity of marriage. The early church knew, and you'll see it in Paul's writings to the Corinthians. He was fighting against lust. He was fighting against immorality. He would say, hey, marriage is between one man and one woman. So the early church. You know what the early church also was? Josephus writes that in the early church, in the pagan rituals of even human sacrifice and child molestations, they would throw kids that were molested into dumps. And who would go after these kids? The, the church. The church of the way would go and dig little kids out of the dumps because they understood the concept of Imago Dei. What's Imago Dei? Everybody, every human is made in the image of our Lord. There's dignity of life, so we fight for the unborn, for the babies, for, for women, for teenage girls and human trafficking. That's our narrative. And I just want to encourage you, Legacy, don't buy in to the binary pressure. Either or, either or, either or. Uh -uh. Jesus always chose the third route. Jesus, as a good Jewish man, he would answer them with a the question. They're saying, hey, hey, hey are, are you here or are you there? He's like, what do you see there? <laughs> right? He's always coming with a third option. Can you stand up? I want to pray for you. Because I feel the Lord is calling us as a church. And I have deep care for this church. I have deep love for what La and Alley are, are building here and all the leadership team here that is represented, the board trustees, everybody. And I know that in, in our hearts, we want to continue to expand kingdom the biblical way. So if you could just open your hands, I just want to pray with you real quick. Father, we honor you this morning. We believe that everything shall pass, but your word will remain. And we are standing on your word this morning. We want to know what your word says about everything that's surrounding us today. Father, help us not to be caught up in this. Help us just be to be anchored in your words, 
in your kingdom. May we know and carry conviction of our hearts that we are ambassadors of a kingdom that's not of this world, that we're here in passing, that we will impact, we will disciple nations. Father, we want to be good stewards of our influence. We want to be good stewards of our giftings, our talents. Father, we really want to live what we preach. Father, we want our church to be a living example of kingdom expression on earth. I pray for legacy that it would be a kingdom embassy that when people walk in here in these meetings and encounter legacy people around the city that they will come in touch with heaven father I pray also that you would give us a fresh passion for your word that we would know that your word has the answer for everything that the media is throwing at us that we would be so built and, and, and consolidated on your word, Father. Rise up. Would you raise up a generation that's in love with the power and the word that will worship you in spirit and in truth. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.